Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Hey everyone, this is episode 53 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. Look at me, I'm already screwing up the name of my podcast. This is Crowdfunding Uncut. Um, be sure to head over to crowdfundinguncut.com for crowdfunding resources. I actually just released a new guide. It's five ways to help you build your audience. And today's interview, I'm actually pretty stoked because I don't think I've ever brought a client onto an interview before. Uh, and this is Manish Sadie. He's the founder of Pavlock this beautiful device, uh, head over to pavlock.com to check it out, but it's a habit-breaking wearable that uses aversive therapy to help you break bad habits. Um, I got involved with them with the most recent Shot Clock campaign on Indiegogo, uh, where we raised just over $300,000. And like at first, when I came across this wearable, I thought it was a little masochistic, but amazing at the same time, because what it does is it conditions you to wake up earlier uh, from the threat of electric shock. So it doesn't actually shock you unless if you stay snoozing and you can use this same principle to break any bad habit. And I just like, I fell in love with the product right away. And what was even crazier is when I came across Manish through a introduction from Jordan Harbinger on Facebook, he's like, yeah, I want to launch a campaign in about two and a half weeks. And I thought, this is going to be crazy because any other campaign I've ever managed, we've taken about three months plus to build an email list. But what Manish had on any of the other campaigns I've worked with is he'd actually already done a campaign when he launched Pavlog back in 2014. And they had thousands of people on an email list. They had a massive engaged audience. And that was the only reason we could really launch a successful campaign. And we ended up raising over $100,000 in the first eight days and just going on to, to being a really successful second campaign. So the reason I wanted to bring Manish onto the show is because he's not just a guy who's developed amazing hardware um, startup. He's done quite a few other things with Hack the System. He's been featured on Shark Tank. He's been to Necker Island to visit uh, Richard Branson for product launch. Um, a bunch of other stuff that I'm going to let him get into. But one thing that really stands out with Manish is how he can get unconventional press and have really interesting article, um, like really interesting angles with, with Pavlok. And he just has a really cool take on how he's used crowdfunding to launch his brand. So Manish, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hey, I'm really excited to be here. I know. So like, I think I've talked to you up enough, but if the audience doesn't know how you got started online, can we just take about five or six minutes just to go into who Manish Sethi is? Yeah. Um, of course I'd love to talk about myself. Uh, so my name is Manish Sethi. Um, I was uh, – I'm from California. I grew up uh, basically in an Indian household, being the youngest of four. Uh, my brother was very successful. Probably many of your readers recognize the name Ramith Sethi from IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And um, ever since I was young, I've always found myself to be very distracted. Uh, I would always try to get myself to do stuff and I was always unable to maintain and control my own behavior. And so as, a, as I was a young kid, like I got report cards always that said like um, he could be such a good student if only he were able to, to stop being distracting or to stop 
And um, you'd see a consistent pattern of that. And so as I grew up, I noticed that I would be really good at, at figuring out and waiting to the last minute to do stuff and then getting things done and then getting like the, a really good grade or figuring out how to do it like last minute but doing a, a decent job when under pressure. Um, and when, as I got to college, I started to notice that uh, when I, I would always wait till the last minute to study and then all my friends would be studying the entire quarter, the entire semester, and I would end up getting the same grade as them. Yet I would feel internally as a failure because the external metrics of success of grades um, might have shown me as successful and I was used to having decent grades. But I would never be able to just get myself to do what I thought was success, sit down and stop wasting time online. Um, so I was very impulsive. Uh, I decided to, to drop out of school and take a, a couple of years off to travel the world. And along the way, I got into the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. I recreated a, a AdSense business that was designed to be a, a, a muse. I worked three hours and 59 minutes a week, exactly one less than, than Tim's four hour work week. And I, I made a video that I posted on Tim's site for a competition. And that video ended up being being the first big thing, it drove a lot of traffic to my, my new website. I, I put up an email opt-in form, and then I made my first affiliate deal from those emails, the first 400 or so that came in. And then um, from there, I started blogging. And I would do uh, an article where every time I would move to a new country every few months. I moved for about four, four and a half years. I traveled to a new country every few months. And I would do projects and try to increase my blog, etc. But I could still never get control over my own behavior. I could never get myself to just focus. Um, my kids called it, my, when I was a kid, doctors would refer to it as ADHD. My mom always told me that I should drink more milk. Go figure. Uh, and, could help, I guess. <laughs> could, yeah. uh, and so long story short, one of my blog posts, I decided to do hack, the site Hack the System. I wrote hacks about doing different ways to improve your goals uh, in the categories of um, productivity hacks, so how to become more productive, uh, social hacks, how to break into new countries or learn new languages. So things like, uh, the 90 days to becoming a famous DJ in Berlin project, a friend hacked into the Berlin DJ scene, um, how to learn languages rapidly, stuff like that. So in one of the hacks, I decided to become more productive and I hired someone to sit down next to me. And every time I got off task, she would slap me in the face. And, I wrote a blog post about it a year later because I was lazy. And that post, I posted it right before I got on a plane from Buenos Aires. And I landed eight hours later in New York. And there was like 60 missed calls. That post had gone viral. The NPR called me right then. This is Otto. I want, are you the guy who got slapped in the face? And so um, from that, I, 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 I had three days of fame. And I, it was awesome. And um, a, a little bit later, I was talking to my friend. And I had this dog shock collar. And I said, why am I paying? What if we just made a dog collar that shocked me every time I went on Facebook rather than hiring a slapper? That would be a funny blog post. And my friend said, dude, let us go to Radio Shack right now. I had a plane flight that day. I postponed my plane flight because it's not every day you get to hang out with someone who can solder stuff together. And, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so later that day, I had made a – by the end of the day, we um, had designed a product that – it was a dog shock collar. We hooked up the remote control to a computer and every time – I went on Facebook, it sent a signal to zap me and I made a video about it and the video was hilarious and I was about to post it online and then it clicked. I said to myself, there are millions of devices out there tracking what we do, but this one has literally changed what I do. Maybe there's something here more powerful than just a dog, than just a, a funny blog post. 
so from there, it was three months of me trying to find somebody who could help me make a prototype for the device. Then three months of giving up, I was already just over it. I got out of the blue a lucky offer. An investor in Boston offered to invest uh, like 50K and help me build the product for six months. Uh, and so I took him up and I moved to Boston. And that's how we got started. So that investor, were you pitching people in your network or how did you come across this guy? Yeah, so it's uh, uh, basically I had spent three months pitching people and meeting people. I remember in March of 2012, uh, 2013, I called my brother. I remember a conversation. I said, I really hope I figure out a way to get this product made soon because I know myself and I know that if I don't figure out the next step soon, I'll give up on it. And this might be the best product idea I've ever had. And I gave up on it two weeks later. Um, and so what happened was two months later, I was on a call with this guy um, and I mentioned this idea I had had. I'd stopped thinking about it. And he told me about this incubator called Bolt, B-O-L-T, out of Boston uh, that was helping people with stuff. So I opened up a tab and then this was before I had Pavlock and I have to close tabs. So I left that tab open for like two months. And one day I was like, just at home and I was like, fuck it today. I'm going to just close my tabs. And so I was knocking out all my tabs and I got to that one application and I had already given up on the idea and bought a trip to Thailand to do kickboxing Muay Thai on a Island. Um, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go ahead and, um, fill it out. So I wrote the application was 300 words and I had smileys in it and I was trying to knock it out in 15 minutes. And I did. And it turns out that they had only out of 800 people or so who apply, they accepted seven people. And they they had wanted a B2B slot. Every other company there that was accepted was like already had a product or a prototype and a lot of hardware experience. So they wanted like a business to business product company. They wanted a business uh, business to consumer company. And then they wanted a wild card slot. And I was the wild card slot. The dog shock caller guy. That's like, yeah, the guy <laughs> with a good idea who has no experience, who seems to be good at marketing and has a following. That was who they, they gave the wild card slot to. And it worked out. This product... I've pitched it to people and it's, it gets one of two reactions. People mm. either see the value in it right away or they think it's really masochistic and sick. When you were first getting this idea off the ground, how did you deal with the haters? Oh, I, I, it's gotten worse, but it's gotten better. Um, so you met me with, with Pavlock, right? So if I come to you at a bar and I say, hey, I have a device that helps you break bad habits I've been telling the story for three years, so I know the words to say. Um, you can try it out now. Feel it. There's a much different reaction than, hey, I'm working on this idea of a dog collar that shocks you. right? So what we started to find was that people's reactions to what it could be is a lot different than what is in front of you. Secondly, we got a lot of people always, just like you said, people who get the point right away and other people who don't get it at all, no matter how much you try to explain. And I think that in a lot of industries, that might be a bad thing. But in my case, I think it was a good thing. Um, we designed a product that shocks you. It's pretty shocking. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's polarizing. Um, and so in some cases, like, you know, you want to elicit an emote. Nothing is worse than boredom from a reaction. Like, hey, what do I do? I do this, like, you know, sales CRM system that helps you track your customers. That's like, oh, cool, nice to meet you. I make a device that shocks you. You have a reaction, right? There's, and like, so to me, like, sometimes I don't get a reaction and it blows my mind. Like, maybe one out of 10 times, someone will be like, oh, that's cool, nice to meet you. And I'm like, what? Did you not just hear me? Um, so 
in our, in our case, you're going to get polarization. How do you deal with trolls? Uh, I'll tell you what we should, what we do, what I do and what shouldn't be done. Um, what I do is ignore them and ignore them and ignore them. What, uh, has happened and it all, and never, ever works out well is responding to them. Uh, like for example, the, 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 the number one post for Pavlock review is a guy who's never tried Pavlock who wrote a post about our, um, Indiegogo campaign way back before we even knew what we were doing, who refuses to try one and take it down. And it's only because my brother tweeted at him back and forth being like, if you want to compete with this idea, then why don't you write a well thought out article? And the guy did. And it sucks because it's like about the the, the idea and not about the product, but it just lasts at the top of the page. So it it never works well to goad uh, a troll. Um, Internally, I think that I'm powered by people not believing in me. Um, I think that you and I are different personality wise here. We're like, I, I, I don't like it when everyone likes my idea. Um, and in fact, I'm empowered by people thinking I'm stupid. So, um, I, I think I, I thrive off of that. So I got lucky. Yeah. Whereas I'm the type that if I don't think you believe in me, I get really angry and then say, uh, well, I'm just going to prove you wrong. But then it's not from like a fun loving place. It's just like, Oh yeah, well, let me show you (laughs) as well. But like, so speaking of, um, you got investment and then you've done two Indiegogo campaigns now. The first one was back in 2014 when you raised pa- um, money for Pavlok. I wasn't involved in that. But why did you decide to go the Indiegogo route the first time? Like in general or versus um, um, Kickstarter? Crowdfunding in general. Uh, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's a no-brainer. Like you get to raise money and get people to pledge to help you and – and it's a no-brainer. Uh, for products, it's like a very obvious idea. I mean, there's okay. So, like, especially now, I understand it because now I'm understanding financials and inventory and all that stuff. So, crowdfunding can be ext- crowdfunding is more is not like a co- crowdfunding is not free money. It's debt, and if you don't know your cogs and you don't know what you're doing, like your cost of goods, you don't know how to ship and stuff, and you won't. Nobody does. Um, you're going to get, you, you can get in big trouble. Like for example, we had so many situations where, um, and we did pretty well. We raised two, two fifty or so on our first campaign. Um, so we got to the point where we finally were done with the product and ready to ship in like August last year. Uh, and then we realized that we had to actually buy the inventory and it cost like 60 or 70 K all in for us to buy. It was between like 60 to a hundred thousand dollars to buy the inventory for our new product that we had already pre-sold before we even shipped that we'd already pre-sold, not counting shipping, which is a massive fee, which people don't seem to talk about on crowdfunding um, and like duties and taxes and all that stuff. So like what I'm getting at is um, crowdfunding could like, if I had, if I, if I had done worse or if I had done way better, either one of those two situations, would have been a very scary position to be in. And I also had to raise another $400,000 in order to get to the point of shipping the product. So where did that just focusing on like what point you were in development before you launched your crowdfunding campaign, did you have a working prototype or were you still having to develop the prototype? No, the prototype was done. We, uh, we had a, um, okay, and I, I, I was talking about this. I was thinking about this previously when you were asking about going to the bar. 
Uh, and I said it's a lot better to have something with you. So we designed our first prototype to be broken up into two parts. We had the stuff we knew and the stuff we didn't know. That was the stuff we knew was like Bluetooth and um, vibrating motors. And the stuff we didn't know was the shock. And so I made it, I decided to make it look cool. And we made the shock, a shocking business card. I, I have it over there, but it's a business card that looks like a, it's a business card. It looks really cool. It's on metal. But when you touch it and I'm pressing the button on the back, it zaps you. And so that was our first prototype. And we got to test that at the bar and see how people, bar testing is my favorite way to find out how people respond to your ideas. Um, and so that was the first part of what we did. Um, and then we had turned that into the alpha prototype, which you saw when you were visiting Boston, the really yeah, big, the chunky thing. thing. Yeah. Looks nothing like this. And then we had a beta prototype. The beta prototype was the same shape and form factor, but not, not the final that we had done. We had 50 of those ready. Um, and now in the newest crowdfunding campaign, we have the final product done. Dope. It was so easy to give out because the thing that crowd, so crowdfunding is such a, po- a powerful way to, get press because it's such a direct landing page like it's an event but it only works if you get media to write about it and the best way to get media to write about it is to have a prototype that you can ship them yeah so we got lucky because we were the device that shocks you and it's naturally um explosive but if you don't having a prototype that you can ship out is equally effective yeah and i guess if you if you only had 50 prototypes um, or 50 units that you could ship, how would you have prioritized that for press instead of unlimited supply? I would have shipped it out to the top 50 people who guaranteed and that they would write an article about us. Okay. So I mean, even the final one, you and me, Kirsten, on the last one, we offered 50 and we couldn't get 50 people to say yes. Yeah. And so, we weren't even doing a typical press pitch. Like what we are doing is just saying, hey, we have a product that does blank. We'd love to send you one to try. Yeah. That's but all for we were a doing, right? And we had trouble getting 50. But, you know, you send out 10 or 12 and then like six or seven will write out, write a post about it. And then two of those will get viral. Yeah. So would you then, would you just send them blind to an address or would you want to communicate with that person first to oh, see if they're yeah. interested? Communicate and guarantee that they will write an article about you. Okay. Why do you do that? Because you have to. Like, otherwise they won't write. Like, uh, so it's really critical that we get the, um, it's really critical that we get people to write articles about us. That's the core focus of the beginning of the press section. And so getting people to say yes, especially when you have a limited amount of prototypes, is very important. You can start by having... Uh, you can start earlier than we did to get more people to say yes. Start two months before, one month before. But you want to have your prototype done. You want to know how much it costs for you to make it. If you don't know how to mold and how to – you're going to be in – if you don't know how to manufacture, you're going to be in big trouble like um, Coolest Cooler is. So like make sure you know how much things cost to make. Um, so you want to make sure you have a prototype. But once you have your prototype ready, then you should be shipping it out as much as you can. How did you start to learn about manufacturing? That's kind of a, a broad question, but what I mean is, like, you obviously had a bit of stuff figured out beforehand. So did you do the trip to China beforehand? Did you, like, what did that look like? Yeah, so I just sent you a video um, about our trip to China that you can maybe post. Uh, in the- 
But um, we had luck. I, I got lucky in that I had access to Bolt, and Bolt was like a place that taught me what to do. Um, so they took me to China and gave me on a tour with factories. We didn't use any of the Chinese factories, but learning how it looked was cool. Um, being in Bolt, basically for me, it was like I absorb knowledge really rapidly. I, I've understood about myself, and you know, if we talk about personalities, I can tell you what I mean. But I, if uh, we get, I got absor- I get, I absorb information really well. So the big thing that Bolt gave me was sticking me in a room with hardware people for six months, ended up being a year, because I learned and asked and learned and asked, and like so, being around people who do hardware is important. Um, you're not going to do everything yourself. Uh, hardware is is very hard. Um, but being at like a, uh, a hobbyist workshop, joining one of the hardware work, uh, hardware workup spaces or workshops uh, in your area. And you can definitely look up, um, like hobbyist workshop or people who do Arduino and raspberry Pi. find those people. They're going to be the ones to help you understand what you need to do to build yeah. product. Okay. Last topic I want to talk about is when I describe how I think you differ from a few of the other projects I've been on or talked to, you have a knack for getting unconventional press. And just around the shock clock launch, you were um, very last episode of the season of Shark Tank, and you had a New York Times feature where that was more of a case study to really prove how somebody can use Pavlov to um, – to lose weight or quit snacking. And I forgot to mention Spike TV's Life or Debt, where it was a live case study to show how people have used Pavlov to uh, have better spending habits. I would love to know, just focusing on not Shark Tank, but the other two where you got people to write about not your story, but how it's actually benefited people. How did you get in front of that to get that kind of press? I can tell you exactly how um, in both cases. So people always, right after our first Shark uh, Indiegogo launch. Uh, we had a ton of press. Um, in fact, I'll send you another link of a video that you should share where we splice together all the local press. And people said I should release a PR course or teach people how to build a master class and stuff on how to get press. And I said, it's actually very simple. And I'll tell you the secret in one sentence. Invent a product that shocks you. And I always say that jokingly, but recently I've been thinking of it more with a synonym term. Like, yeah, if you make a device that shocks you, I got lucky because all the press called us. And so when I got, so life or debt, they called me. Um, The uh, New York times, they called me because a reporter had seen a bunch of people who lost weight and quit sugar. Um, The shark tank, they called me. Uh, All of these case studies called me. And so I've actually found this, now to be more of a, it's becoming a limitation more than it is a skill. Uh, I think I have an innate sense of always wanting to be, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be impressive or be uh, awesome or be remembered. And I think that ever since I was a kid, I just naturally developed a knack for whenever someone says, whenever someone says you can't do something or whenever says some, whenever I do something, I want to do it in the most impressive way, not the best way, but the way that's most impressive. And like, um, I think that it comes like when I was younger, it came across as exaggeration. Um, but all the stuff I used to exaggerate about is starting to come true. If that makes sense. I kind of like create, I have this fake world where all these things are magic and happening. And then the more I talk about it, the more real it becomes. Uh, yeah, it just and so manifest itself. Yeah. Like, especially yeah. With, because like I've been talking about what it could be for so long and now it's starting to happen and better than I thought. And so, um, what I'm getting at is you don't like, you don't have to be imaginative, to build a good business or do a good crowdfunding campaign. You don't have to get 
all the press if you get systematic guaranteed results. There's multiple ways to grow stuff. Um, but if you want to get press, it's always useful to be shocking. And that means being different and worth writing about. Like the word remarkable, I like to think of because it means worth being remarked about. And so is a small product that doesn't do much worth being remarked about? No, maybe not. But if it has a twist to it, often it's just a twist uh, that makes it simpler and more interesting, you can fix something. So a good example regarding um, Pavlok is another company released a um, banking software in Europe and they set up so that it was internet of banks or something so they could have a uh, connect to your bank balance and if you know your bank balance was low it could turn down your nest and something uh, etc but they hooked up to Pavlok so now it shocks you if you don't if your bank balance is low and suddenly the combination of shock factor plus bank balance is a storyline actually Kirsten this is something to talk about offline yeah <laughs> offline with regards to other people's products, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, okay, so – Yeah, I'll give you a good example. Uh, yeah. uh, Hamburger Helper. They just released that album of five uh, hip-hop beats that were produced by musicians. And it was unrelated. It's a hip-hop album. It's unrelated to Hamburger Helper. But those two things are so – it was, it was a shocking experience that made – it was a big PR burst that exploded on its own. Um, so that's a big corporation. It's like, uh, you know, it's a big corporation using something uh, Chipotle when they did their old um, video game, when Chipotle released the Scarecrow video game. It's like combining different media elements. So if you find a way that you can tell your story in a more interesting way and then make it about the story, your product doesn't have to be the story. The shock clock is more than the shock clock. It's just that people will only remember one thing. So pick that one thing and make it and twist it until the story – and it's hard to do, but you, it's a lot of brainstorming and talking to people until you figure out something cool. It's kind of like uh, – I was talking to a friend yesterday who was doing a uh, proposal for Nando's Chicken. Do you know Nando's? Mm-mm. No. It's huge. Piri Piri Chicken. Anyways, uh, hopefully my listeners will know what Nando's is, but it's this big chicken chain international that's only available in certain parts of the U.S., but – what they did to announce the release of their mango chicken in Australia was they stole this small town's mango statue and it went missing for like a week randomly. And then it was a big PR stunt by Nando's. Um, but they did something remarkable and different that was also related to their brand. Huge. Yeah. The one thing, so a lot of campaigns will have a hard time standing out because if you are, releasing yet another pair of headphones or another planner. How can you be different? Well, the first thing I always say is that why are you releasing another pair of headphones? Um, so when I look at Pavlok, the product, uh, there's a show called The Profit. This guy goes in and fixes businesses. And he always says when you're fixing a business, there's people, process, product. You want the right people doing the right process, selling the right product. If your product isn't a strong product, then no amount of marketing or PR spin is going to help it. So you want to make sure that you're building something useful. And crowdfunding is good for this because it lets you test what's useful, right? Uh, Going in all in with a prototype, uh, if you're building an electronics product, can be not a good idea. Maybe you should do it with Arduino first and set like a much longer delivery time. Um, But I I, I warn you about that just because you should know what you're getting yourself into with hardware. 
But regardless, getting like um, a good product is critical. So there's a headphone right now which went super viral. I think um, they have like the Bluetooth earbuds plus it's uh, – uh, Oh, like a headset thing? It's you know it's a on air it's on ear headphones but you can twist it out and turn it into blue. Oh, to, see that's different. Yeah, so that's different. Yeah. They took it and twisted it. Right, I saw another one where it was just inside your both ears with no wires that was doing really well. Yeah, um, too. You can also target it at a, at a sport. So like this one is for tennis players and make it like targeted and somehow um, these days like some standard stuff. Like uh, there's so many things you can do with. Uh, accelerometers and connections with your phone and app and software, but people haven't connected everything together. So, like, you know, if you're releasing headphones for golf and the headphones can see your swing somehow, maybe uh, they and then they can tell you, hey, you should have swung harder, or they integrate with the ZEP sensor or something that can do that, and then you know it swings and you're they're like your coach for you know that's like a thing. Um, Right now, it's like there's infinite things you can build. And for some reason, everyone's not building the coolest things. I don't quite get it. Like there's so many – like it's so easy compared to how it used to be. It used to take eight to ten years to build a product. You know the Apple IIe from Steve yeah. Jobs? Yes. That was the best-selling computer for nine years. No computer lasts nine years right now. So you can like create new products all the time. And, and, and the, the first one is hard, but the second one's a lot easier. Yeah. It's just a learning curve to go through. I really like building. And one thing that I I try to harp on with my company and my team is uh, decentralization or modularity. And that word sounds weird, but it's so powerful. I don't know. It's just in my brain and it won't go away. Decentralization and modularity as two different words or? They're synonyms. Uh, Okay. So like module. This is Pavlok. This is a band. You can also wear it as a necklace that connects to your neck. You can wear you felt that. Yeah, you I did. <laughs> wear a clip. You can also stick it anywhere on your body. But this, so that's a form of modularity. And I, I think of this because um, more than one person can work on the designs of Pavlok at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but that focus extends down to everything. So in our software, uh, we have an API for writing new apps, and even our own company uses the API to write our own apps for the app for the, our product. So yeah. that lets other developers modularly or decentralizedly write their own, write their own apps. And it goes down further, um, with our, with the way that we've designed our organization, mm-hmm. I've created a modular, I'm working, this is awesome. You should know about this since you're in it, but creating a modular organization that allows us to rapidly build new products, um, building platforms and services, uh, like you can only scale your time. So services keep you at a scaling per hour jobs, keep you scaled. At a, 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 you can't, no one ever became a millionaire or billionaire off of a hourly salary. Um, and as you start to build an asset, you can start to use it to grow more rapidly. And I found that like many other companies, many other personalities, had they had my company would have chosen one thing, particularly smoking. If my brother was me, and he discovered – so uh, for people who are on this call, they don't know about this. Uh, Pavlox is really useful for quitting addictions and bad habits like smoking. And if you zap yourself for five days while you smoke a cigarette, your brain creates a Pavlovian association between the two, getting upwards of 50%. In one of our studies, 75% of people quit smoking in, in less than a week of therapy measured six months later. That's like eight to ten times more effective than nicotine patches. And so that's a really big deal. Um, and – 
any if my brother was me, he would have been like, all right, we made a device. Okay, it, it cures smoking. Wait, hang on, it cures smoking. Holy shit, it cures smoking. And he would have gone down the path of curing smoking, and he'd probably be a lot. Everything else, right? Yeah. yeah, but he'd also probably be a lot farther than I am. He probably would already be medically tested and already have it in hospitals, and it would already be a, a much bigger company than mine. Um, and my viewpoint is, I wish I could do that, but. I also um, – I get bored really quickly and jump around to the next thing. So, oh, hey, we do this, but we also do memory, but we also do gaming, but we also do movies. But we also And it's created a problem where we're not like uh, – we don't own mindshare in anything except maybe shock. But uh, it's created this uh, – and you can judge me on this in a year or so. We've created this foundation where I think we'll be able to rapidly because of our app store modularly rapidly grow because we can have thousands of developers working for us. Uh, doing the work without us needing to do it. So that's the goal. Yeah, because I find like your company has done so well based on having one device that speaks to everyone. And they say that, oh, if you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. But considering how successful your brand has become just by being the main habit-breaking wearable, think of what you could do when you actually focus on each niche. Think about it. Actually, right? not, it's I, nuts. I think that's really Got some, sorry, got some siren in the background there. So you want to say that again? Oh, there's a siren in the background. So. We're good. You can hear me, right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Wicked. Yeah, so, man, that's awesome. Do you want um, to say what you said again for the siren, or do you want to just keep moving? Just keep moving, I guess, unless, did you not hear me? I didn't hear you. Well, I'm just saying, like, your company's become super successful based on being the one wearable for all bad habits. And they say that if you don't pick a niche and focus, that you're speaking to nobody if you're trying to speak to everyone. But I think that your brand has a ton of legs considering the following you have and how well the brand is doing if we start to focus on specific habits moving forward. So I actually think you made a really good play by proof of concept of just the general habit-breaking wearable before you moved into something else. Because you really, as you said, got time to figure your shit out. I think so. I think right? there's, there's a lot of benefits and a lot of lot. Like, I think that if I could go back in time, there's things I would do differently. Um, it's funny how things have come full circle. Like all the stuff I cut from my first ideas are coming back. But uh, it's, you know, it really time will tell because the, the biggest fear I have is that we're moving too slowly. Uh, and so, you know, I'm worried about that. Um, but I think that because we've, we've, we've shifted. We, we could have been a smoking company. And then we shifted to being a habit-breaking hardware company, and now we've shifted again into being a habit-behavior company, where it's not about the hardware. This is just a tool, but we want to make it so that the product that we sell is habit change. Um, and so if that works, and I, I'm, I'm hoping it will, there's no one who can compete with that because you can't – like there's no – there are people who can develop hardware faster, but not many people can develop – no one can develop behavior faster than I think we can. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think anybody understands it as well as we do, or at least no one's out there trying to do that um, in the right way. With the, the, we have a goal, like a lot of people are trying to change habits using apps, and a lot of people are trying to change, um, are trying to track stuff using hardware. Yeah. But no, put the two together, and I think that we have a lucky balance um, if we play our cards right. So you probably get this question all the time. But I want to know, what is your, do you have one bad habit that you're looking to break? Or how do you use a Pavlov to manage yourself? 
clearly something happening outside. <laughs> Alrighty, so how do I use Pavlock myself? So yeah. I've, broke, uh, I've broken about a dozen habits using Pavlock. Um, the biggest ones being tortilla chips. There's some videos of me online with that one. That's an interesting uh, one. I used to scratch. I had a retainer that I got rid of, so I would compulsively lick the back of my teeth, and that one I've gotten better at. Um, negative thoughts, getting over my ex-girlfriend was a big one. Um, re- okay, so then I connected it to our apps, and I use it a lot for if this, then that will beep when I make a sale, which I like. Uh, every hour or so, I get a vibration or a zap reminding me to, to meditate or to take a, a glass of water. Um, I set it to vibrate every time I meditate every couple every minute. And so that helps me meditate better, stay focused and not lose track of time. And then, uh, lastly, the Chrome extension has been really useful for me. So the Chrome extension lets you set blacklisted websites as well as, um, set the maximum number of tabs you want open. Okay. And that's helped me reduce opening too many tabs. So I like that one a lot. It's great for productivity. Uh, Great for productivity. Uh, And it integrates with rescue time. So it knows... But recently we found that um, – and, and a lot of Pavlok is shifting to this – that breaking bad habits is a way to stop the problem. But other people respond better to forming new habits in their loop. Yeah. And so we found that the act of having a morning routine and tracking specific elements throughout the day is the most effective way to change behavior, mm-hmm. um, creating like anchor points, things you want to do in the morning. So we've really rewritten a lot of our app to focus on tracking behaviors. Um, so you set morning routines that you want to hit. You do them. You earn points. We call them volts for doing them. And then those volts can be redeemed for new habits, new apps, and eventually nice. physical goods. Is this the new upgrade for the app? So the new app that you'll, you'll have will show you the design and basic interface. Mm-hmm. The new tracking we're developing probably for an August release. Okay. Um, but the big focus we're trying to get at is uh, morning routines and nightly routines of you tracking what you do. And then you're then able to adjust. So um, rather than forcing you to start zapping on day one, we start off by tracking what you do for the first few days. And then we use that data to help you reduce and hit your goals um, easing you into the process and earning rewards for doing so. I love that because I think um, we were talking offline. You sent me the spreadsheet, your tracker spreadsheet of everything you do on a daily basis. And I just thought, man, I need to use that because there are some things on the day. Like I have a daily routine I do, but there are certain actions I want to put into my day like that are bad habits for me, like not checking my email every day. I would really like that to be a thing I do every day, but I just forget about it if I'm not – like consciously tracking it. So I think having that in the app will be really awesome or, you know, a different um, version of that. But can people use the app right now that don't have a Pavlov or is that? Yeah, you can use it. Uh, you can use it and you can use the apps. And instead of getting a zap or vibration, you'll just get a push notification. Nice. Okay. So you open too many tabs, you get a push. Uh, and and um, you can download the Chrome extension at pavlov.com slash productivity. Okay. Use awesome. that with You think uh, I would have that? Oh wait, no. Maybe I do. Anyways, you should if you don't. Uh, in there. <laughs> and now, um, so and I think that that's a great question. I think that we are really trying to develop that out with the tracking system. So you know, in August or so, it'll start being more clear how it works. Can't wait. Me neither. All right. Well, this has been fun. Um, before we wrap this up, do you have any famous last words? 
frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. No, that's not the last word. That was just the ending to a film. Uh, I think that if I were to give last words relevant to crowdfunding, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. You should pick a good product and then try it out. It's pretty cool. Oh, and if you want to build something related to behavior change or habits, uh, get in contact with me. Yeah. How is uh, What is the best way to get in contact with Oh, and if you're also uh, interested in hardware and have experience in hardware or software development or user experience and user interface design or email marketing, copywriting, stuff like that. No, not that. <laughs> then uh, get in That's contact. me. <laughs> we have a, a jobs list at angel.co forward slash Pavlock. Fantastic. Cool. We're always hiring. It's a fantastic team. So Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and my, I'm the best boss ever. Right, Kirsten? Right? He's terrible. <laughs> you didn't catch that, right? <laughs> Tim. Kidding. He's great, but you're not my boss. That's true. <laughs> I right, constantly have to remind you that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> cool. This has been fun. Um, where can people reach you? Manish at Pavlock.com. Sounds good. I'll have those in the show notes. So this has been fun. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Take care. Uh, wasn't that another fun conversation? All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode, but stay tuned. Next week, we're bringing on Brian Clark from Copyblogger and Rainmaker Platform. Um, another TTT guest. And actually, I'm pretty excited about this one because at the conference, I didn't really get a chance to really connect with him like I have with the other guests. So I'm really stoked for a conversation. I'm actually recording that in a couple of hours from now. So um, apart from that, remember that you can head over to crowdfundinguncut.com. We have an awesome freebie. So if you are about three months out from doing your own crowdfunding campaign or you just want to see what crowdfunding is all about, head over to crowdfundinguncut.com and you can get the freebie that's going to help you build your audience pre-launch because remember, if you've been a listener of the show, you are going to want to build an audience before you launch because Kickstarter and Indiegogo are not going to hand it to you on a silver platter. Uh, Apart from that, I'm Kirsten and thanks so much. I love you guys. Appreciate you. And we will talk to you next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.